Hey folks, this is Jeremy. Uh, you're about to hear part of a three-parter episode that we recorded with Derek Varn. If you'd like to hear the entire episode, you can do so right now by heading to patreon.com slash giving the mic. I shall send a signal to that satellite beginning a countdown. Five minutes thereafter, one bomb will be lowered deep into the heart of each pit. The satellite will in turn relay a microwave signal that will detonate all the bombs simultaneously. The multiple explosions will result in a global chain reaction. All the Lazarus pits throughout the world will overflow. The globe will be saturated with their chemical solution. And when the resultant cataclysm has abated, there will come a blessed peace. And this poor, defiled planet shall find itself restored to its former pristine glory. But that will cost countless lives. Actually, Detective, we have counted. 2,056,986,000. A most impressive plan, would you not agree? Yes, I can see it clearly now for the first time. You are completely out of your mind. Talking about the Christ, the uh, the Christchurch uh, manifesto, can you do a little bit of like a background on the I guess yeah the eco fascist stuff or like where that actually comes from? Well, you know there was a a strain of the of the counter enlightenment that goes back to Romanticism. We tend to think of Romanticism in the English tradition as fairly um, neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know Byron and and Shelley and Keats and their love of nature and um, but in the German tradition, a lot of those thinkers are the same kind of concerns and some of those thinkers, you know, aren't as quote unquote problematic as others. But like Herta and and stuff, there they had that string in them and and like this return to to a more natural state of being, which they tied to like. Germanic culture going back to you know um, what Tacitus was writing about even and so there's a big strain of like return to an organic lifestyle and also this is this is reflected in like uh, fascist and Nazi philosophers because their view of the race and the nation was as an integral organic whole so that also included ecology and even in America when you look at the like the beginnings of the um, of the ecology movement, there there are two different strains of it. One of which is um, a kind of liberal, slightly left wing, like um, a natural um, nature conservation. But there's also the Teddy Roosevelt kind, which does rhyme with fascism, kind of for a reason. It, it, it wouldn't say it's fascist, even explicitly proto-fascist. But there's a, a, a belief in like an organic, expanding nation which must take care of its natural resources, which is an extension of its of its of its self as a state. Mm-hmm. That um that that's pretty early on. I mean, it, it's actually even like I'm stationing this back to the 19th century, and it's fully developed in the 20th. That said, um, it's hard to talk about ecofascism because uh, so many, you know, right wingers use it to slam lefties. Um, yeah, I mean, but, it's frequently just used as a slur by a lot of people. Right. So, you know, Rush Limbaugh used to throw it around at, like at the Sierra Club. Um, but it is interesting that, like, for example, um, Jay, Jay Sakai, who you know, no one would ever accuse of being. Uh, 
a right winger um, pointed out that 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 fascist notions of natural purity um, racially actually also reflect on their ecology, and that this you know there was an obsession with like pure typologies and pure and like unpolluted land and unpolluted blood. I was gonna say this is uh, where we're getting into like blood and soil, isn't it? Yeah, I mean this is the soil part of blood and soil. So you know you 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 have a. Uh, Someone on the kind of anti-imperialist left, like Jason Kai or um, Murray Bookchin, talked about this a lot when he talked about like deep ecology. Um, such as, he was talking about David Foreman in particular um, in the '90s, like flirting with this organic coldness that was very close to 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 like you know um, uh, natural purity stuff from uh, you know like um, romantic nationalists, which didn't. Which was the which that it does lay the mythology down for ecofascism, um, so that's not surprising. And the, that strain is is about 110 years old. Um, in, in modern terms, there's people like Penny Lakota who you know who you know would call themselves fascists. There's um, Troy Southgate um, who was a member of the British National Party, used to write occasionally for Green Magazine. Um, there is Atasha, and weirdly, I know some people attached to that who were these uh, people obsessed with, you know, these uh, um, not even primitives. They were anti-civilization, like terrorists in Latin America. And um, one of the the people associated with that went so far as to like, you know, praise fascism for killing people, but you know, praise it for not, you know, but condemn it for not killing enough people, like, you know fascism like we have critical solidarity with fascism because they kill people for no reason but like couldn't they be more ambitious than just wipe out more very racial ghoul yeah look at it detective one of the last of the rainforests the world depends upon its oxygen yet the rich see only profit in its destruction you who belong to the overclass have much to answer for Bruce Wayne donates millions of dollars a year to preserve these forests. Which are being depleted at the rate of 120,000 acres a day. Does your money solve this problem? No. It will take more than wealth. It will take power. And I fear... ruthlessness. Humankind must be forced to serve the planet instead of its own appetites. And you're the one who'll do the forcing? I am... Qualified, yes. I mean, you know, and it, it's hard to know if those people are trolling or not. Um, Alain de uh, de Bonoist, I'm, I, I am notoriously bad at pronouncing French, so people must forgive me from the from the new right in um, France. Um, also, was uh, really big into trying to reintegrate green politics into um, right wing nationalism and ethno nationalism. Um, so it, it gets into like uh, it's all over um, um, identity Europa in Europe. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Like not not even a little bit. But the 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 problem, and this is a problem, is when I say this. It's going to be really easy for people to go, well, oh, you know, like, you know, uh, that, you know, the Sierra Club is totally fascist because, you know, and, and it's not just right wingers to do it. There are some developmentalist leftists who do this, too. Well, one of the things that I think complicates this a little bit, though, is that I read the manifesto and my impression is that that particular section was l- probably 
ironic, in my it's, opinion, but yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to say, because the overwhelming majority of the manifesto is dedicated to the issue of diversity, and so I believe that, and given what he wound up doing, I think that that was the motive. It's hard to know that. I mean, there's other statements of that manifesto, like his talk about China, for example. Um, yeah, which is, again, a offhand reference in one paragraph. Right. So, like, he may be sincere. He may be completely trolling. Um, but even if even if he is trolling, there's a there's a real enough history, particularly with the with the Nouvelle Droit, uh, the New Right in France, and with. Um, elements of of the romantic nationalists who were at least allies with the fascist and you know particularly in um had a big big role in um parts of like area Safi, which did contribute to some of the underlying ideology of the nazis um where that really was a thing like it wasn't just ironic so it's 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 very hard to know the, the but you know the other thing about this is fascist in practice not in rhetoric um tended to be ultra developmentalist too and not really have that many you know non-superficial um you know nature conservatory safeguards so in power they kind of ignore it can you do can you do a quick uh explain developmentalist real quick so developmentalist is just like you, develop, developing productive forces, even if it destroys most of your resources. I mean, um, oh, okay. So, um, and libertarians make this argument. I mean, libertarians and lefties will sometimes, uh, depending on the kind of lefty, rhyme on this. Like, you know, um, the working class is worth more than a rabbit. You'll sometimes hear people say something like that, or like you'll hear someone say, ironically, or maybe sometimes even not ironically, they're a smokestack socialist. Because if we develop the, you know, the faith is if we develop enough um, technology, you know, for in, in capitalism, then we can use it to like scrub the air and do like uh, bright green, um, you know, um, deve- you know, projects to clean everything. And um, I, the the thing is, the real history of that's mixed. Um, I was gonna say, is, is this is that like, is this almost getting into like. With things that people accuse, like Lee, uh, Lee Phillips of doing, or Lay Phillips. Yeah, right. And to be fair, like uh, Lay Phillips is is someone that I that I know pretty well, and um, yeah, I've I interacted his, with for a while. I have, his, I have his new book sitting over on the uh, I got from the library just uh, yesterday. He so, does have some rants on Greenpeace that get a little bit close to this. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to say he's not guilty at all. I think it's sort of a, an over expansion of his position. Okay, yeah. Uh, but then some of the people he argues against, he's also arguing about as uncharitably as they are about him. Um, so I tend to take all, I mean, like, I tend to take all of this with a grain of salt. And as, as controversial as I can be, when it comes to stuff like this, I actually sit down and listen because I, on um, um, this, I think both sides have a lot of points. Um, one of the ones that I bring up against Lee is like, the Soviets on paper had a pretty good ecological policy too, but they turned a lot of Central Asia into a wasteland. Like th- that's kind of an objective fact. Jacob? So, well, I just found an interesting quote that I wanted to share. Putting uh, aside contentious matters like global warming and resource depletion, countries should invest in national parks, wilderness preserves, and wildlife refuges, as well as productive and sustainable farms and ranches. The natural world and our experience of it is an end in itself. And I am 
paraphrasing very lightly, Richard Spencer. Yeah, no, that's not surprising at all. Thank God you weren't actually quoting from that stupid document. I was like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm cutting. I, yeah, there's no, that. There's no way in hell I'm putting that out on the out on the air. Different terrible manifesto. Okay, just checking. Um, yeah, no, but I mean Spencer. I mean Spencer likes to joke that if it wasn't for he, you know, if he had an all white state, that he would pretty much be a be a um, you know like a Keynesian liberal with green tendencies. But as it, long as it's only for white people. Yeah, at some point it's like how much. Yeah, you really and again you can't tell how much them are being like just shit posting and. But with him, it's like yeah, he kind of he probably believes um, the vast majority of that. Yeah, I mean, I, um, with him, I think it, I mean, like you know, the guy wrote wrote his his master's thesis with Adorno. I mean, like it. it he probably believes most of that. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, I've I have heard him um, speak on other areas about that, like you know, about the need to reduce the population to save the environment, and by reduce the population, he means reduce brown people. There, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on and just kind of like either between like hippie culture or just Amer- like American or you know Western environmentalism or ecological thought that can get real reactionary real quick and like extremely oh, yeah. like anti. Um, not, well, not just what's the what's the word meaning like um, like like more intense misanthropy. It's just full on like almost like like getting a little bit on the genocidal side of like you know um, humanity is not a part of nature and like it's, we're worse than it's just kind of you know maybe it's okay that some people start getting wiped out. Almost like some sort of like almost barring some sort of like neo Malthusian take or something. Well, I mean, th- this is where I think. Uh uh, Leigh Phillips has a point um, that it wasn't hard for Troy Southgate to um, infiltrate Green Anarchy magazine. It just wasn't. Um, he didn't have to change that much, um, and that was in the '90s. But it was it was definitely not that hard. And when you look at a lot of uh, there's a lot of cost for population control. It's very easy to have people um, see immigration as a threat to the environment. Um, there's a lot of you know views of overpopulation that take on some very icky. Um, you know, I mean, where you know where are the areas that are quote overpopulated, right? Like, um. Yeah, like, their cities, their China, their India. Yeah, I was to say, was the, is that the, the the dude who wrote the population bomb? Like, wasn't he like stomping around? I can't remember if it was Mumbai or Calcutta or something, and just kind of like bemoaning, you know, like physically disgusted at the just the human the mass of humanity of unwashed brown humanity around that. And anyway, like this, is like, right? Yeah, it book seems like 70s. it's a misguided anger at like he like oh this this is just this poverty is disgusting it must be too many people yeah you know i mean like yeah um it's not that it's not hard for that to go reactionary pretty quickly and honestly i i think in the um in the um in the late aughts um around you know when gas was really expensive frankly right a lot of people became peak oilers Oh God! Um, oh, fu- oh Christ! Not yeah. And what's his face? Um, God, what was his name? Peak oil guy. Which one? Um, the one, the uh, the one who was writing about that, who seemed uh, who seemed a bit. What, Kunstler? 
was it Kunstler? Yeah, Kunstler, James Howard Kunstler. Yeah, yeah. writing and, and, who, who seemed to be a bit a bit too gleeful about some of that stuff. It's like motherfucker, you know? Do you know exactly who this is going to hit first? Yeah, no. There's there's a lot of that. Um, primitivist also tend to tend to be a little bit like like that. But I remember listening to Kunstler, and he got more. He sounded more and more conservative over time. Um, uh, there are a lot of podcasts out of that kind of milieu that. Um, you know they got uh one of them I, i'm not going to name names because i'm still friends with this person but like he was like well you know maybe charles murray has something rational to say oh boy you know like and he came out of that like doomer r it was like doomer it was you know peak oil r or um the singularity like you know the same people were obsessed with both well, hold on. Did uh-huh. I miss a memo here? I mean, peak oil is still a thing, right? Yeah, didn't but not oil. to the same, not to the same extent as it was in two thousand and eight. I mean, peak oil is also not wrong in some in some basic sense. We will eventually peak, but and we might actually have now what what peak oil in in the late aughts didn't account for is is. Um, Fracking technology, fracking, yeah. and and tar sands. Right, I think, but, but I think, the, but I think the, the peak oil thing. It was like I said, it wasn't just the concept of because you know these things are never the concept. It's the culture around it, and there was right. there, like I said, Kunstler and a bunch of people who were really like I said, he's talking about like hey, because I remember one there was a. I, there was a bit that he mentioned talking about I think this might have been tar sands or something about and but the, the example that he, he he tipped his hand a little bit too much with the example that he drawed that talking about you know we we'll, you know we'll have to use tar sands and you know and the getting getting oil from you know getting oil from from shale and you know the Nazis did that or something like that he he, he went um what just grabbing that as the as like a particular example as a, as some sort of like way to backstop his argument so yeah one of the one of the stranger things that i i found him um he has this weird love of the 19th century city as kind of an aesthetic norm that does betray um a certain kind of cultural conservatism that he's not admitting to a city on which um, continent? but on which in which continent though <laughs> and like yeah, which, that's a good question on right? a, which, like, which like, half of the 19th century yeah i think he means new england without the factories like <laughs> good luck buddy yeah <laughs> I mean, that's not that, to me. That's not even as kind of reaction as people get into primitive territory who you know literally argue for a lifestyle that require ninety nine point five percent of the population to die um, to be maintainable. Yeah, I but, think, yeah, and I think that we're going to hear more, especially when people start talking about, and you can hear it a little bit about when they uh, they decry like you know wasteful lifestyles. But it's in the talk. It's when they start talking about air conditioning. That um, that there's something that that there's 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 a crack there, and it's and talk about how like we might have to like refuse air conditioning what's up without really realizing or fully accepting like what that actually means because like guess what we you know in plenty of places where plenty of people live you don't you know and you know for example Chicago you don't have air conditioning um, and you're in the wrong kind of building you die On the yeah, other same hand, same with Georgia if we're yeah. talking about some place like Phoenix I think. I can write that off. Yeah, I mean, but it's funny though because when people when people do that with um, with Georgia, they think they're talking about you know a bunch of right hicks, and what they're actually talking about is uh, urban black people. Yeah, without realizing it. 
because they don't really understand. Like they're in such a rarefied milieu, they don't really understand the places where they're talking about. And um, this is this is something where I'll still sound almost sound like a conservative ranting about people from Portland. No offense. Where I'm just like, when you hear these liberals like kick the South out, I'm like, but that's where like I don't know, sixty percent of the African Americans are. Yeah, it's like. Kind of- the, you know, pe- yeah, people dump on it's like the the constant. And you mentioned that you talked. God, we're getting into like a third episode of territory. Um, <laughs> but you talk about this with your conversation with Ed Simon that um, it's like people talk about they can't they uh, or a lot of a very particular kind of like metropolitan cosmopolitan like Manhattanite like you know professional media liberal cannot countenance the the concepts of Georgia and Atlanta at the same time. Right. <laughs> or, or even, or even, or, well, check that. Georgia, Atlanta, Cobb County, and Athens. There we go. There, there's a, uh, there's a nice, there's, there's a gamut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the Cobb County is like right outside of here. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, where I live in Macon, which is, which is a bright, uh, blue, blue city as far as the voting for Democrats and, um, in a very mixed area, but the entire area is increasingly, um, majority minority um like not even just the urban area like that's also true for for rural portions of the area too but no one seems to even know that um so yeah i can i can rant about people's misguided notions of how class work because they don't really understand geography but you know yeah, and, that's and, another episode. Yeah, I was just saying, I was growing up, but growing, growing up in the suburbs of Michigan, suburbs of Flint, as a middle class kid, it's one of those things where it kind of um, you learn. Yeah, it's like you know, you learn that the the whole like blue state, red state thing is bullshit just because of uh, G of General Motors post war hiring patterns because they and they would you know that's they they sent buses down to the south to to because to, they needed workers. Well, actually, the whole system was developed because of satanic ley lines. <laughs> it, they would that would at least make more sense than uh, what happened. But all right, I think that's uh, that. I think we're yeah, pretty much tapped. We got for, three hours and ten minutes all over the place. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you've been digging on lately? You want to recommend? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, spending less time on Facebook. That's a good one. Um, that's evergreen. Let's see. I've been reading. Is there an app for uh, that? Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I've been reading Hammer and Ho, which is about um, rereading it because it's about the interesting work that a lot of the, the Second International, even though it was kind of Marxist Leninist, did in the South, laying the groundwork for the civil rights movement, which is, which is interesting because. Um, it it kind of like as far as you know Marxist historiography goes, it kind of makes everybody look bad um, because it gets thrown under the bus by the MLs as soon as the Popular Front develops because they're too hostile to the Democrats in the South, hmm. and they you know and Stalin needs FDR you know to play along. Um, by let's uh, by Robin D G Kelly. Yep. And, um, you know, that it's a pretty interesting book and it's even more interesting if you read around it. So like if like it doesn't go into some of the history that I'm talking about, but if you know that's going to happen, then it, it makes it pretty poignant. Hmm. Um, let's see, uh, other things that I would, that I would suggest doing. I'm reading, uh, I'm going through a deep dive, um, into Mike McNair's revolutionary strategy and trying to argue with it. 
I started and reading I've, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's got, got some good points, but it's so dense that sometimes I wonder if he's covering too much at a time to be, like, for me to actually uh, completely agree with his conclusions. Um, and uh, I've been reading a lot lately on, uh, you know, this is going to sound a little bit out of left field, but on emotional intelligence and um, and and kind of wondering if um, maybe lefties need to, like, um, call Jordan Peterson out on their game by actually like maybe straightening up their room. Is that a shot at me? <laughs> no, but, um, but I, I actually have been thinking about that. Cause I'm always like, you know, Peterson's such a nut, but like, there are some things where we really do need to just be better at our emotional regulations and how we deal with politics. It would make it, it would make us much more effective. Yeah, I have a copy of Daniel Goleman's book up on the uh, up on the uh, bookshelf there. I think I've only heard the audio version. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I've been reading that and a, a couple other things, and I, also I've been reading um, weirdly all these Robert Greene books and thinking about how to apply them to Marxism. Hmm. Wait, so, so like, Forty Eight Laws of Power yeah, guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hmm, how do I apply this to Das Kapital? Like, what can I get out of this as far as like class and organizing? Um, and it's actually been fascinating. And his his Laws of Human Nature book is it's over essentializing for sure, but it's not actually anti left wing at all. Um, and so like, I'm beginning to think like, maybe we shouldn't seed all the self-help, the crazy right wingers, which, uh, which, you know, a a fifth topic, but it's something maybe we should think about. That is true. It's kind of, because I wouldn't think there's a, uh, in the, the office that I moved to when I transferred departments, there's a couple, there's a, uh, a bookcase that has a lot of like that that kind of that particular that you know genre fluid of um business self-help lit and mm-hmm. one of it just I'm looking at the I was looking at the thing and wondering like at what point do we or is it was it worthwhile to start diving in and start um it's a new version of the uh the salvage project you know hey uh hey channel Mievio, you know custom that but diving into and get, extracting out of uh, all of this you know like I said, billions of hours and money poured into uh, business and self-help. Let uh, make you know how do you make small groups work? You know how do you achieve goals and or you know or kind of like measure effectiveness and try to see if, if any of that is practical from for like in for like leftist projects. Yeah, how do you actually call in for real as opposed to just rhetorically? Right, like like because honestly, in some ways, the corporate people are are better at that. They 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 have to be. Yeah. <laughs> So um, maybe we can use that against them. Yeah. And so like that's that would be my last take is like, you know, read some normie books and try to like figure out how it applies to your life in ways that you, you, you know, in really radical ways. Don't just seed it over to to, you know, corporate management. Like maybe we can use this against them. <laughs> Why not? Somebody has to. Jacob, you, exactly. What, what do you got? I would like to recommend Sabrina by Nick Dernasso, which is a original graphic novel that came out last year, I believe. And it is, at its simplest, a book about a woman who is killed under unfortunate circumstances and how the people around her react to that. But it's this really powerful tale that I think uses comics as a medium very effectively 
And cool. I think more so than a lot of books I've seen really manages to capture the feeling of modernity and just that sense of alienation and disconnection and confusion. And there's a lot of just very sparse, empty panels. And there's this just consistent fear that I think builds throughout the story. And there's even a Alex Jones type radio host on it. Ooh. And I, I really can't recommend this strongly enough. It, it's a fantastic read. It was nominated the first graphic novel, I believe, to do so uh, for the Man Booker Prize. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, it's not particularly graphic in any way. You don't you know, see people getting cut up. It's not a from hell situation. It's very much about the effect of death and about how the media reacts to that and how we're basically all sort of slowly going crazy together. Huh. Wow. And uh, I, 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 was, I was impressed. That sounds like a good recommendation. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you should definitely check it out. It touches on a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight. And uh, who wrote it again? Nick Dernasso. Hey, put out by? I have no idea. Oh, okay, I don't, I don't know, know if it was Boom or Image or Vertigo or anything. Oh, no, it was, I assume it was probably like Top Shelf or something. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. It's the, wait, it's sort of hippie shit that they would do. Is Top Shelf Portland or where yeah. are they? Okay, yeah, I can. There's like so many like uh, indie presses in, in town. The two things that I will recommend is one is a, I guess you could call her a singer songwriter, but it's more of like, like she does a lot of like um, indie bedroom pop out of Norway. Was a twenty-year-old uh, solo artist who f- tours with a band. Her name uh, goes under the name Girl in Red. That uh, I think she. Did, I don't even know if she put out like a full album yet, but she, maybe like an EP and a bunch of singles. It's just a really good, uh, great, you know, indie rock. I mean, yeah, a lot of them are like kind of teenage love songs, but they're from a uh, they're from a, uh, a queer girl's perspective. Most of the song the songs are in English, even though she's Norwegian, and it's uh, it's pretty good. I'll play a little clip of it. For reading, I just started reading Mark Fenster's Conspiracy Theories, Secrecy and Power in American Culture, mm-hmm. which I can't remember where I actually got. I don't remember if Derek was like listening to you guys talk about it or somewhere, but it's so I am liking it so far because it's actually talking about conspiracy theories, but with uh, from an from the aspect of like of like power. And like he actually, yeah. he actually, he's like, you know, he mentioned, you know, so far as he's mentioned, there are little, there are references in there to like, like he's mentioning, like he talks about, you know, ideology and there's a little, a couple of bits of like about Marx and even, um, I think he even like quotes like, 
I think he quotes everything from like there's some Gramsci and Stuart Hall quotes in there too. So this is like the first edition of it came out in 1999. Uh, and I think he put out a revised edition sometime after uh, 9-11. So uh, that is um, Mark Fenster's Conspiracy Theories. All right. Wrapping things up. Uh, Derek, do you have anything to plug? Or, Listen or- to Symptomatic Redness, my podcast, which I think is actually like increasingly the main of Zero Books podcast feed. Uh, I will be on Sectarian Review talking about Wickerman soon, but I don't know if it'll be out by the time that uh, this will be out. Um, but look, you know, podcasts are evergreen, so that's true. We'll probably find that. Which version? And- of, which version of Wickerman? Oh no! Not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! The the uh, the seventies one, which is good, as opposed to the you know. Oh, you didn't. Oh, you, so you didn't do both. far superior, excellent. <laughs> um, and uh, no, I thought we thought about talking about both, but I, I, I you know, I, I have a trouble subjecting myself to Neil Brute, frankly. But um, let's see. Um, I'll be in New Orleans at the New Orleans Poetry Festival in three weeks in April. Cool. Um, so if anyone's in NOLA and wants to meet me, hang out, I'll be there. And that, that's uh, those are my pluggables. Awesome. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at I don't remember, Skep Poet, I think. Yeah, I think it's Skep Poet. Um, but my Twitter's really boring. Um <laughs> And something else. I'm on Instagram. You can see me um, losing weight and looking really hostile in front of famous places. <laughs> it's good to have a theme. And uh, you want to? Do you want to mention your book? Oh yeah, um, I have a book called Apocalyptics. It was uh, released by Unlikely Press out of New Orleans, um, and uh, it's available on Amazon and through um, Unlikely. Which I'd rather you buy it through Unlikely. Um, than through our Bezos overlords, but still, yep. Um, I'll take any books. Give me your money. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, so check it out, folks. <laughs> cool, uh, Jacob. You can find me at Twitter at Jacob Mercy. I just put up a YouTube video, and I don't know how to get my own custom YouTube address yet so just do a search for jacob mercy i guess if you want to get in touch with me uh like make an album or write a comic or something just like try to impress me and i'm I'm bored with the usual emails you have you have so you have such high standards i do and always, if you need to get a hold of us, uh, we are at facebook.com slash giving the mic, giving the mic at gmail.com on Twitter, giving the mic. Uh, we do have a Patreon somehow, and we're, we're, I'm starting to put more and more like kind of like bonus little, not necessarily like fun, like locked off episodes, but definitely like extra, like, you know, extended conversations on there too. Uh, at, at available at patreon.com slash giving the mic. And, um, yeah, that's, this has been a hell of an evening. Uh, thanks a lot, Derek, yeah. for being, uh, for being willing to chat with us about this long and winding road. Yeah, it's a little bit all over the place, but it's been fun. Yeah, well, cool. all right. And thanks, Jacob, for uh, being able for, for, uh, staying, for, uh, hanging with us. Sure. I like the parts where Varn said I was right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See, everybody, everybody got something out of it. Okay. And I give without it, uh, th- uh, thank you, Derek. And I guess we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, man. Good night, everybody.
victory is yours, detective. Perhaps it is time I am finally one with the planet I so love.